Hello everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Guelo Ramblings World Tour podcast. My name is Stephen Palmer, and you might know me from being the co-host of the Asian Cinema Film Club podcast with Mr. Elwood Jones, or maybe my writing for easternkicks.com, or maybe for my own Asian cinema blog, guelo-ramblings.wordpress.com, which of course is where this podcast gets its name. If you want to know more about who I am and how we got here, well, I suggest you go back and listen to the first episode and then come back when you're all up to speed. Or just stay and wing it. Either way, you are most welcome. Now, last episode, I took you to my homeland and we had a look at a couple of British black comedies. This episode, we'll take the short jump on over the English Channel and visit France and a couple of films that live and die on the performances of their titular protagonists. France, of course, is the birthplace of cinema as we know it, and from the early days of Menaillet and the Lumiers to the giants such as Godard and Truffaut and Roma. The actors and actresses who transcend their language and locale to become worldwide icons such as Bardot and Depardieu, to the incredible density of cinemas in the city of Paris, to the famous festival held annually in Cannes, Today's films are helmed by two directors that came to prominence in the 1990s and specifically two films that are probably as recognisable by their posters than the films themselves. We'll start with Luc Besson's Nikita and then we'll have a look at Jean-Pierre Genet's Amelie. Luc Besson's Nikita, or La Femme Nikita, is a 1990 action thriller. It stars Anne Perillo as the titular Nikita, a teenage drug addict who murders a policeman during a botched robbery of her friend's father's pharmacy. She receives a life sentence for this crime, but has her death faked in prison, and she is given the chance of either being killed for real, or to become trained as a secret government assassin. It's a high-concept idea, one that probably does not stand up to too much critical scrutiny, but it's a story that clearly resonated with the audience. It was not only popular in its own right, but spawned fairly quick remakes in both Hong Kong and in Hollywood. It also went on to inspire not one, but two American television series. Even now, the state-trained female assassin trope inspires films such as the Jennifer Lawrence vehicle Red Sparrow, and the brilliant South Korean movie The Villainess, which I really must get Elwood to talk about on the Asian Cinema Film Club. Watching the film again for this podcast, a couple of things struck me. Firstly, just how darn 90s it looked. In the opening scene, the blue, overexposed lighting is just so typical of the time, reminding me of contemporaneous films such as Highlander. And now it looks somewhat washed out, really rather grim and dark. It also really sounds 90s, with an electronic soundtrack that seems so typical of the era. The fashion, the hairstyles. They all scream a certain contemporary time and place. Sometimes films can appear timeless. Nikita is not one of those films. It is totally of its time. Secondly, I was rather struck by how rare the action segments of the films are. I mean, they are rather brilliantly staged and very memorable, 
but they take up very little of the film's two-hour running time. For example, after the opening robbery, it takes 45 minutes for the next real moment of action to occur. If you compare this to the heroic bloodshed films coming out of Hong Kong at a similar time, the balance of drama versus action is markedly different. And it's also important to note that Nikita is not, even after all the training, some kind of uber-competent assassin. She either succeeds at fairly minor assignments, such as a long-distance assassination, or delivering a bomb as a hotel maid, or succeeds at bigger operations, almost despite herself. Besson made the film in the wake of his first big success, The Big Blue, Le Grand Bleu, and cast his then-wife Anne Perillier in the main role. This was very much against type for her, and the rigours of filming such a physical role clearly had effect on both her future roles and the pair's marriage. They were divorced just a year later. But she makes the film. Her Nikita is a complex beast, twitchy yet fragile, whilst being incredibly physical and violent. Even when she's finally released into the field, there's something about her that constantly betrays her natural competence as an assassin. She plays off beautifully with Chucky Cayo, who plays Bob, her sponsor and handler. His calm demeanour, that is clearly holding back some darker secrets, balance out Perillio's wider spasmodic excesses. As successful as the film was internationally, and just how inspirational and fertile it has been for the entertainment industry to recycle, it didn't initially get great reviews. Besson is probably the most pervasive French talent worldwide in terms of his directing, his writing and producing of movies. An incredibly popular genre staple such as Leon the Professional, The Fifth Element, The Transporter series, The Taken series, even his Arthur children movies all seem to play well with audiences, but they rarely get a fantastic critical response. He is considered at the forefront of a movement called Cinema de Look which basically suggests style over substance, and he rails against this. Personally, I do struggle to see the fascination that many genre enthusiasts have in his movies, but it is clear he is great at realising high-concept ideas in an entertaining manner. Oh, and one more thing. Look out for an early role for Jean Reno, a regular Besson collaborator in the second half of this film. His character of Victor the Cleaner is clearly a rough prototype for his later, much better role in Besson's much better film, Leon the Assassin. Nikita may be considered part of Besson's cinema de look, an exercise in great style over little real substance. But our second film is an example of the work of one of the real exponents of visual style from anywhere, let alone France. Jean-Pierre Junet already had the visually stunning Delicatessen and City of Lost Children on his CV when he got the invite to go to Hollywood to make Alien Resurrection, the fourth film in that franchise. Now it's a beautiful film, but it disappointed in many ways, not least in terms of box office. Genet returned to France with a script he'd been working on before his Hollywood adventure, a story about a shy and introverted waitress and the effect she has on those around her. He actually wrote the role for British actress Emily Watson, 
creating Amelie as a version of Watson's character from Breaking the Waves. But her schedule was too busy, and frankly her French was not that great, although probably better than mine. But boy, that must have been quite a different story. He rejigged the story a little and employed French actress Audrey Tauto after seeing her face on another film poster. And the rest, as they say, is history. Amélie, or Le Fabuleux Destin d'Amélie Poulain, is a gloriously imaginative and colourful comedy drama. Via narration and brilliantly executed visuals, we learn about the difficult childhood of the titular Amelie, raised by eccentric parents who lacked the ability to express love to her, denied an inclusive upbringing because of a falsely diagnosed heart defect causing her to become homeschooled. She takes refuge in her vivid imagination, and things potentially become worse when her mo mother is killed in a comic tragic accident. It causes her father to retreat even further into reclusivity. Amelie leaves home at 18 to become a waitress at a Parisian cafe, and again we're introduced to a wider, quirky cast of characters. And one day, Amelie discovers a small box of photographs hidden in her apartment, and she resolves to reunite them with their owner. Aided by Serge Merlin's Dufayel, a brittle-boned artist who also lives in her apartment complex. She achieves this goal and decides to devote herself to surreptitiously bringing happiness to others. Dufayel recognises Amelie's hidden loneliness and encourages her to produce another quirky local, Nino. And so we embark on a series of mostly fun adventures with Amelie. But will she ever find the happiness and human connection she's never found for herself? We'll have to go and watch the film. At the centre of the movie, we have another astonishing career-defining performance, this time by Audrey Tauto. In many ways, I suppose you could call her the ultimate incarnation of the manic pixie dream girl trope. She's a beautiful but unusual creature, operating outside of societal norms. Although, technically she isn't a magical pixie dream girl because she isn't there to reawaken a more staid male character. If anything, she's something actually a little darker. She's clearly either on the autism spectrum, unable to properly connect with other people, and she actually occasionally acts in ways that shows no understanding of how other people operate and deserve to be treated. Or, maybe as some reviewers suggest, she might actually be schizophrenic. A couple of her plans involve much humour, but are actually rather cruel, and many actually only provide a temporary respite for her targets, leaving some in exactly the same place as they started. And it's hard to believe Amelie as a character could be realised by anyone other than Tauto. Assisted by bright and colourful palette, and supported by clever and imaginative use of CGI, her pretty eyes and cheeky grin, she floats through the film, carrying it with her sheer force of personality and charm, her occasional fourth wall-breaking sides to the camera. And even if you haven't seen the film, I think you'll probably be aware of the film poster. It's an iconic and fascinating performance. It's best to sit back and enjoy the frothy treat that is Amelie. It's possibly equally as guilty as being as much style over substance as Nikita is, but it's an enjoyable and visually arresting piece of cinema. 
it fully deserves its place in the common lexicon as a standard against which all similar films should be judged. Unless you are like me, and you can't get the idea of how it would have been realised with this original actress and inspiration involved. I wonder. Now there's an alternative universe for you. So this episode we've looked at two French films, both with strong female leads, both from directors who are undoubtedly masters of style. These are both iconic movies, utterly embedded in the genres in which they exist. Neither is perfect, but both are hugely enjoyable and recommended. You should now be able to find the page for the podcast on Facebook. Just search for Guelo Ramblings World Tour, or look in the episode description. If you want to contact the show, give feedback, or maybe tell me about your favourite French films, or suggest something for a future episode, feel free to contact me there, or via email on thingsfallapart at hotmail.co.uk for now. And please, please feel free to give me a review on one of the podcast platforms you might have caught this on, or share episodes with people you think might like it. I'm not here for a large number of subscribers, but I do like to know I am not just talking to myself. I'm actually planning a future episode where I have other people talk about their own favourite foreign films, so if you'd like to contribute a short two to three minute segment, get in contact. If enough people are interested, I'll close out season one of the show with a more collaborative episode. You may have noticed I've started adding special episodes where I look at films that simply inspire me to talk about them from anywhere, from any time, in any genre. You'll see the latest one was about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So keep checking the feed and you might get a little treat. Next episode, I'm going to take the podcast to Germany and look at two films starring a Swiss actor who recently passed away. I'll introduce you to Angels in Berlin and an examination of one of history's great monsters. So until next time, this is Stephen, signing off from France. Bonjour, merci, au revoir. <laughs>